Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are, and welcome to another episode of Wills, Women, and Wealth. I am your host, Maryland attorney, Elsa W. Smith, and I'm also the host of the podcast. Um, thank you so much for joining us for another great episode. This podcast, as you know, is for women who value their health, their wealth, and the legacies that they are creating. Each episode is going to bring you interviews in the areas of finance, law, mental, and physical health, and so much more. I'll also share educational episodes that answer your questions on wills and estate planning topics. This is a community, so I want you to engage. So let's start growing together. Do you have a question or a topic that you'd like us to feature on wills, women, and wealth? contact us via social media or leave a comment. As a reminder, this and all future episodes will be available on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. Now onto the show. You know, we receive calls um, at our office from adult children who want to start the estate planning process for their parents. They call and say, you know, my mom needs a power of attorney or my dad needs to create a will. And eventually, you know, during the conversation, we learn that mom or dad um, may have trouble remembering things. Um, and there are those cases when the caller, you know, minimizes the severity of how this forgetfulness is impacting, you know, the, the parent's daily life. The parent, him or herself, may be in denial of what is happening to them. So the reason that understanding all of this is important as an estate planner is because the documents like a power of attorney and a will require you to have capacity or to be of sound mind. Once the parent in this scenario has lost that ability or is experiencing some sort of, you know, cognitive decline, you know, it becomes a bit more complicated and potentially more expensive when we're talking about estate planning. So today, my guest is going to help us all better understand and, you know, how to recognize and how to deal with cognitive decline issues. My guest is Dr. Carl V. Hill. Now, before I bring Dr. Hill on, I want to tell you a bit about him. Carl V. Hill is the Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer for the Alzheimer's Association, overseeing strategic initiatives to strengthen the association's outreach to all populations and providing communities with resources and support to address the Alzheimer's crisis. Dr. Hill previously served as the association's Vice President of Scientific Engagement. Prior to joining the association, he served as director of the Office of Special Populations at the National Institutes on Aging. Throughout Dr. Hill's six years in this role, he led the development of the NIA Health Disparities Research Framework, which stimulates studies focused on health disparities um, related to aging. He also directed the NIA Butler Williams Scholars Program, which provides yearly training for early career investigators interested in aging research. Dr. Hill earned his PhD 
from the University of Michigan School of Public Health, where he trained with the Center for Research on Ethnicity, Culture, and Health, and the Program for Research uh, on Black Americans. He is an alumnus of the National Medical Fellowships Incorporated W.K. Kellogg Foundation Health Policy Fellowship Program. Dr. Hill holds a master's degree in public health from Morehouse School of Medicine, and he, reserved, he received its Distinguished Alumnus Award in 2019. As a member of the Centers for Disease Control, and prevention, public health prevention service, a training and leadership program. He helped to establish the Center for Bioethics in Research and Healthcare at Tuskegee University. It is my honor and pleasure to welcome Dr. Hill to the Wills Women and Wealth podcast. Welcome, Dr. Hill. Oh, so great to be here with you, Attorney Elsa Smith. This is an exciting podcast. I'm looking forward to today's conversation. Well, I've been looking forward to it as well, um, to learning so much about the disease, and I'm hoping to really help um, the community. Um, it's quite timely, particularly during you know Black History Month that I have you on. So we're going to raise, raise awareness and educate as many people as possible. So let's jump right in. Please tell us a bit more about your role at the Alzheimer's Association, and how did your professional journey lead you to work with the association? I'd say it's a great question because, uh, you know, right now at this point <clears throat> in my career, I think all of my previous roles and academic training, you know, were really, you know, led to this type of opportunity to work with uh, this type of organization, you know, so, in turn and serving as a chief diversity equity and inclusion officer i really get the opportunity to uh to, to think critically about getting you know resources to communities that are underserved or you know disproportionately affected by alzheimer's or another dementia or underrepresented in, uh, in clinical trials i'm sure we'll talk about that about that later you know so this is this is the culmination, I think, of you know all the training that you mentioned in my bio, where uh, I've, I've had opportunities to work with the National Institutes of Health, or to be trained by uh, great scholars at the University of Michigan who were thinking critically about uh, disparities among uh, Black Americans, or working in public health, you know, at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Uh, this, this all comes to this this uh, time, this opportunity for me, because the Alzheimer's Association has just a great opportunity and infrastructure with uh, over 70 chapters all over the country, physically located you know, in communities uh, with the goal of engaging communities with resources like education about Alzheimer's and dementia or uh, support for caregivers, um, you know, you know, all sorts of, of uh, resources for us to get to to those that are disproportionately affected. And, and as we'll, we'll talk later, I'm sure we know uh, African-Americans are disproportionately affected by Alzheimer's or another dementia. So just just really excited uh, about this role you know, thinking of uh, diversity in the way that we, we think of it, diverse perspectives for risk. Uh, being inclusive, intentionally inclusive, 
and then equity. Uh, I tell you, Elsa, equity is is what I think long and hard about, and that's how do we deliver those resources to African American communities in the ways that they can be best received, and that and that is that 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 is our opportunity. That's our challenge, and that's what we think long and hard about every day. And I'm going to ask you a bit more about that particular aspect later on, but. Um, First of all, I mean, I think we need to start with a foundational question. What are we? What is cognitive decline? What is Alzheimer's? And do and the follow up to that is do do those um, the triggers do they differ among Black Americans and or community, uh, communities of color? Well, I, I tell you, from a you know foundation perspective, you know, malcognitive. Everyone who develops uh, Alzheimer's or another type of dementia passes through malcognitive decline. And that's mm -hmm. when people have, you know, memory, you know, slight memory problems. Right. And so that, that really gives us an opportunity. We'll get into that later because if we can diagnose people at the malcognitive uh, decline of, you know, you know, you know, you know, space of this, then we really, we really have a chance at, um, uh, you know, slowing the number of people who would develop Alzheimer's or another dementia, or addressing the disease that we see for uh, Black African Americans. But let's 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 back up. You know, Alzheimer's is a type of dementia that affects memory, thinking, and behavior, uh, and is a progressive disease, and in which symptoms gradually worsen over time. Right. So I use the the word dementia umbrella term for uh, you know, a number of, of, uh, of, of diseases that, um, that, that relate to memory loss. Alzheimer's is the most common cause of dementia, mm -hmm. uh, a general term for memory loss, like, like, like I said. Alzheimer's disease, again, a type of dementia, accounts for 60 to 80% of all dementia uh, cases, right? And so uh, we also know that mixed dementia is mixed dementia is, is prevalent as well so there's another dementia called vascular dementia which is mm -hmm. linked to various cardiovascular health outcomes really over the life course and one that we'll discuss when we talk about the health of uh, 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 alzheimer's and dementia among black african americans but you know to take home alzheimer's accounts for 60 to 80 percent of all dementia cases and you know it's really important to think about here elsa is that alzheimer's is not a normal part of aging, right? You know, we know the greatest known risk factor is increasing age, but it is not normal uh, aging. And so uh, the most common and early uh, warning signs of Alzheimer's is difficulty, difficulty remembering newly learned you know, information. So as Alzheimer's advances, you know, I said it was a progressive disease. It leads to increasingly severe symptoms, including disorientation or uh, mood and behavior changes, uh, deepening confusion about events, time and place, uh, unfounded suspicions about about family, and all of this varies, Elsa. Because I, you know, mm -hmm. I tell you, many people will tell you, caregivers will tell you uh, that you know one case of Alzheimer's or another dementia is one case of Alzheimer's and another dementia. <clears throat> That's why it's so important to be able to to receive a diagnosis and to be under under a doctor's care as soon as uh, a loved one uh, uh, sees warning signs uh, for, for dementia. Are there um, particular, um, I guess, and maybe environmental or societal factors 
that are maybe unique. I don't know if that's the right term um, to use in, in, and they serve as aggravating factors for people in the black community. Well, you know, we, we know in general, the strongest risk factors for the development of you know, Alzheimer's or, or another dementia are older age mm -hmm. or family history of, of dementia uh, and conditions that, as I said earlier, increase the risk of cardiovascular uh, disease like high blood pressure or high cholesterol levels or unmanaged uh, diabetes, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, chronic health conditions associated with higher dementia risk, uh, you know, really disproportionately affect also Black and African-Americans, right? And so when we think about disparities, <clears throat> you know, my training is in health disparities, we're, we're really trying to understand, you know, what are some of the, the factors over the life course that lead people uh, to maybe engage in you know, poor health behaviors that, you know, undermine their cardiovascular health, right? And so we look at things like a quality of, of of early life education or uh, higher rates of poverty, having resources to you know be able to afford uh, you know a diet high in fruits and vegetables is really important, uh, and then stress you know greater mm -hmm. exposure to adversity over the life course. Uh, sometimes it's workplace stress, maybe it's family stress, maybe it's racial discrimination. You know uh, that that people at, that. African Americans have to cope with, and they turn to um, you know unhealthy behaviors that undermine cardiovascular health, which over time you know can put African Americans at, at greater risk for developing Alzheimer's or another dementia. Right, and so it's really important to understand. I, I think when we say diversity, equity, and inclusion, diversity is not only you know who's at the table and who and who's not. Um, but whose perspectives to risk, who's, you know, whose risk uh, perspectives are we considering and how do we intervene, uh, which is really important. A question came to mind um, as, as you were speaking, because as we're talking about aggravating factors, societal, environmental factors, um, you know, the elephant in the room has been, you know, this pandemic, you know, COVID, you know, does the Alzheimer's Association research yield anything um, as to the, the relationship between the COVID pandemic and maybe a rise in uh, people suffering from Alzheimer's disease? Yeah, we, we saw a, 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 a dramatic rise in deaths from Alzheimer's during, during COVID. And so more research is needed on the relationship between COVID and brain health. Um, but some of that may may uh, uh may uh, be attributed to social isolation you know we know that covid covid led to people uh, having to live uh in very isolated ways or uh, you know not being able to get the health care that they normally would have or be with their caregivers right and so uh, this is a research um, area that needs to be investigated further but there was a rise in, in deaths from alzheimer's uh, during during the covid period before I uh, uh, read your, your your intro, I mentioned a situation that happens, you know, often at, at my firm. You know, we get calls from adult kids. Now, this question is specifically to them. You know, what can you know? Many of us who, I mean, my parents have since passed away, but at a time I was one of those adult caregivers. How can we, you know, advocate for parents with signs of 
cognitive, you know, decline? And what should we, you know, what kinds of tests should we be asking for when we go to the doctor with our parent? Well, really good question. I, I tell you, you know, ongoing and open communication uh, with your doctor is important, you know, when seeking a diagnosis for memory loss, you know, ask questions, you know, really be intentional. Uh, be prepared to answer questions. And, you know, it's really, you know, you know there's, a, there's a stigma, you know, in our community around many uh, diseases, mm -hmm. uh, but particularly uh, memory loss, you know, Alzheimer's and other dementia. So be prepared to be honest about, you know, what you're observing among, you know, with your loved one in terms of, uh, you know, their, their, their potential warning signs so that you can get a proper, you know, diagnosis. So, so the first step, you know, in following up on symptoms is, is finding a doctor you feel comfortable with. <clears throat> Many people, you know, contact their primary care physician about their thinking or memory concerns and primary care doctors often oversee the diagnostic process themselves. Mm. So, you know, the doctor will evaluate uh, your overall, your loved one's overall health and identify any conditions that could affect uh, how well uh, memory, you know, is is being affected. And so, you know, I tell you, when when talking to your primary care physician about uh, memory and uh, thinking problems, ask how familiar you know they are with diagnosing dementia and whether there are circumstances in which they would you know refer you to a specialist. So you know, really be prepared to have questions and. And maybe have questions, you know, listed, you know, jot some questions down before, you know, you get in that healthcare setting so so you can be prepared, right? And, and you know, a few of the kind of providers you might encounter are a neurologist who specializes in diseases of the brain and nervous system, or a psychiatrist, you know, who are, you know, you know these doctors are trained in general psychiatry with additional training in mental health and aging, or a psychologist, right, who has special training in testing uh, to assess uh, thinking abilities, including memory, attention, language, reading, and problem-solving skills. And then there's a geriatrician, you know, who, who specializes in the care of older adults. And so just, you know, coming to the healthcare system, to the diagnosis uh, with questions and uh, some background information could be very helpful uh, for yourself and for the caregiving of a love for, for a loved one. Should, um, at what point would it be, uh, you know, appropriate? I know these, the, the, you know, some of these tests are very expensive, but I mean, if we, you know, like a brain scan, CT scan, I mean, what on a practical level, you know, what are, what are the tests that at least would be helpful in giving a baseline and then kind of continually monitoring, you know, that, uh, you know, that parent, you know, as they as they age. Well, <clears throat> there's no single diagnostic test that can determine uh, if a person has Alzheimer's uh, disease. Uh, physicians, uh, often with the help of specialists like I named before, neurologists or neuropsychologists, ger ger geriatricians, they use a variety of approaches and tools to to help make uh, a diagnosis. Um, you know. Research is leading us closer and closer uh, to a to a to a blood test. Not quite there yet. Um, and then, you know, PET scans are used in research uh, to see uh, amyloid, uh, you know, in the levels of amyloid in the brain. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but those aren't covered um, by by health insurance to, today, right? And so they're very expensive. Um, so you know, it's important again to 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 see a physician when they're concerns about memory to get the proper the proper diagnostic test that is available uh, so that uh, there could be uh, some intervention or some treatment plan uh, that's compatible with the symptoms that are that are observed you know uh, dr hill this, this whole conversation of you know cognitive decline i mean it's more than just clinical you know it's very personal and it's sensitive and you know um, I know because I've seen it, um, a lot of times there is resistance among, you know, the, the, you know, within the parent themselves, because they may be in denial that this is happening. Um, Have you, you know, can you speak to that? And how can we respectfully, you know, work with, with a parent who's just, you know, got that challenge, you know, it's like, I, I know something is happening to me. I don't want to acknowledge it, but. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I tell you, I, you know, you know, you know, these kinds of conversations are challenging even when there aren't, you know, memory problems. I, I, I have a, uh, an older adult mom and, um, you know, you know we, we, we're really having good discussions about how, you know, she's continuing to age, but sometimes they can uh, be challenging. You know, family members, you know, we play an important role, you know, because, um, you know, we're often the first to notice, you know, signs of cognitive, de- cognitive decline in the loved one, you know, and unfortunately, Many of us are reluctant to broach the subject because we always want to remember, you know, our loved one, our parent, our aunt and uncle uh, in the, the ways that, you know, we best remember them, you know, and this this can be especially challenging if you're worried, you know, that your family member will be upset or react poorly, you know, when you raise uh, the sensitive topic. But, you know, as difficult as it may be, you know, it is critical that families discuss uh, uh, cognitive concerns as soon as possible. Uh, it's important to identify what is causing cognitive changes. Some causes of the cognitive decline are treatable, including, let's say, for example, depression mm-hmm. or sleep problems, uh, side effects from you know, various medicines or certain vitamin uh, deficiencies. So even if the cause is something more serious, uh, you know, uh, you know, hopefully not Alzheimer's or another dementia, uh, early diagnosis offers the best opportunity uh, for care management uh, and treatment. And so before having a conversation, you know, talk to other family members to share your concerns. Ask if others are noticing the same signs that you see, you know, and, and anticipate that some family members may dismiss you know, the changes uh, to the person that's just, uh, they're just getting older. Yeah, mom is just getting older. And also keep in mind uh, that, you know, sometimes spouses often cover for one another, you know. Mm-hmm. You know. So still, it's, it's best to trust your gut and raise concerns if you suspect that there is a potential uh, problem. You know, discuss who is best to have the conversation and choose someone uh, your family member trusts and is likely uh, uh, to listen to. So, you know, it, you know, overall, it's best to be honest and compassionate 
you know, start by sharing some of the things you've noticed and asking if your loved one is also concerned. So, you know, for example, you may say, Mom, I've noticed you're having a hard time making holiday cookies this year. And I'd like to talk to you about what you know, may have happened. Uh, you may you may have been making them for years and it's, you know, this, this is just not not like you. You know, focus on the specifics, share them in a way you think your uh, your loved one, your family member will be able to hear it and let them know, most importantly, that you've got their back throughout the entire process. And, you know, if this first first attempt doesn't go as well as you would have liked, you know, take time to regroup, you know, maybe jot down some some notes and try a different time of the day or recruit someone else to talk to your loved one, perhaps a different family member, a friend or someone at a church or a faith community. You can, you, can, you can also share your concerns with your loved ones, uh, doctor, but it's important to have that, that conversation. And uh, while you know, there's no easy way to have this conversation, it's important to, uh, to always know that you know, you know, there are resources and, and the Alzheimer's Association offers uh, conversation tips at AOZ.org org uh to help families um, I, I would encourage your 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 listeners and viewers to, to to really engage our website there's a wealth of information there and i'm putting that for those of us catching this on uh the video replay um i'm putting uh the the website uh, url it's www.alz.org forward slash volunteer um, visit the website. There's a, a, just tons of, of information on there. And I'll put that up uh, again during our conversation. You know, Dr. Hill, and, and thank you so much for, for that very thoughtful um, and just sensitive uh, response to, to the question, because one of the things that I seek to do, at least in estate planning, is to get us, particularly in our community, to really normalize the conversations around estate planning and all of the issues. I, I look at things holistically. So all the health issues, the finance issues, let's start having, you know, the dinner table conversations um, about these issues and mental health, cognitive decline. That is yet another opportunity. I would say that that we have as a community to start weaving those into our you know regular conversations and not just wait until there's a crisis and then you know you've got to learn all this information you know and and as as the Brits say they're you know they're caught on the back foot uh, <laughs> because there's just so because there's so much information out there um, and and that's what I'm. Or at least I'm hoping to do that you and I on this podcast yeah. talking about these issues yeah. and hopefully it'll spur conversations in in various uh, in various households. Um, you mentioned that uh, because the the Alzheimer's Association um, it has so much I mean it's been well known uh, association for for many years. What are some of the efforts that the association is undertaking to find a cure um, for this disease? Well, you know, I tell you, that's the uh, the largest nonprofit funder of Alzheimer's uh, research, uh, and and so yeah, I came from the National Institutes of Health, you know, and and so that that's a 
that's a large funder of research. But the Alzheimer's Association is the largest nonprofit funder of Alzheimer's research. Tremendous opportunity. Uh, the, the, the association is committed to accelerating the global progress of new treatments, you know, preventions and ultimately a cure uh, by undertaking a multitude, many different diverse uh, research uh, initiatives. The association funds independent uh, researchers through our international research grants program, right? So these are you know, when people like me go on and earn a PhD and are starting a career in research, looking for uh, seed money to start a, a laboratory or a research program. The Alzheimer's Association funds these investigators, right? Really important. So, you know, currently the association is investing over $310 million in more than 950 uh, research projects in 48 countries all over, all over the world, right? So uh, our grants have funded some of the most instrumental research in Alzheimer's and dementia science. You asked a question earlier about uh, being able to, to diagnose, you know, Alzheimer's. And I, I you know, I mentioned uh, PET scan, you know, the, the ability to, to, uh, to take pictures of the brain to see, you know, amyloid, you know, one of the proteins that causes the, you know, the, the plaques that, you know, that characterizes Alzheimer's. I won't, I won't get too sciencey, but, but, you know, that <laughs> innovation, you know, came from a, a pilot grant you know, that was funded uh, through the Alzheimer's Association International Research Grant Program, right? And they, that investigator went on to to receive uh, larger grants from NIH, but you know, really got the seed funding from the Alzheimer's Association. So we're really proud of our ability to uh, fund uh, early career investigators, investigators all you know, throughout their career. Um, we also host uh, premier global forums uh, for Alzheimer's and, and dementia scientists to connect across the various disciplines. The, the best science, you know, is, is made when people share their findings and they critique each other and they network and they, they form teams and they push the scientific envelope. So we, we have the, uh, the largest uh, scientific conference in this area, the Alzheimer's Association's International uh, Conference, uh, which happens every year to bring the scientists uh, together. So we're, you know, we're stimulating uh, through uh, uh, funding research and also convening researchers to come together uh, around uh, these very important issues. When we uh, talk about, um, and I know you certainly address it in your speaking engagements and lectures and so forth, disparity in treatment of Alzheimer's disease. Um, does it run along racial ethnic lines? And if so, what do, what do your findings, what do your research show? I mean, how does that look like? Is there questions that are not being asked on a practical level? Really, you know, it's really interesting because we we know that uh, you know Black African Americans are two times more likely to have to develop Alzheimer's or another dementia when compared to to whites. Um, but you know, we're also thinking about the, the the determinants, right? And so it's not just about the disparity, but it's about the risk. You know, the the, the you know the the, the factors that would put people at risk and, and whether you know, black African-Americans are more likely to, uh, to, to have to deal with those risks, right? And so, so we know, um, you know, uh, black African-Americans are 
less likely to be diagnosed, less likely to be to, to, to be recruited to participate in research. And it's important you know, to, to have the opportunity to participate in the clinical trial means you have access to some of the, the latest treatments that are, you know, that are, that are being uh, evaluated for effectiveness and safety, right? And so to get in a clinical trial is really important, right? And so, uh, the, you know, African-Americans are less likely to be, to be recruited and mm-hmm. then also less likely to have access to care and support services, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, less likely to take advantage of all of the free resources that we have at the Alzheimer's Association. And so, uh, you know, the, the disparity, yes, you know, it, 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 you know, African-American two times more likely, but, but, you know, not being able to access care and support to, to, to not be recruited and, uh, to, to participate in clinical trials, you know, this is unacceptable and it, and it must change. Dr. Hill is the onus on the, uh, the primary care physician to suggest, uh, look, Jane Doe, you might be a good candidate for this trial, because honestly, you know, as a lay person, I would have no idea that these trials are even going on. So who bears the responsibility to, you know, to, I guess, shepherd more and more people, more diverse candidates into these trials? You know, I, I think, I think we all do. Uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, the, the, the health care provider, um, whether that be the primary care provider or a neurologist has a role to play in uh, making, um, in this case, Black African-Americans aware of opportunities partic- to participate in clinical trials. Um, but, we, but, you know, but we're talking about research, you know, you know clinical research. And so, uh, investigators, researchers who uh, receive grant funding from the Alzheimer's Association or from the National Institutes of Health, you know, they, they also have a responsibility to do the type of uh, community engagement, um, you know, to make people aware of the benefits of participating in a clinical trial. And we know, mm-hmm. you know, there's some stigma around uh, participating in research in, mm, yeah. in the Black community. Well found, well founded. It, oh, absolutely. Well-founded. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, we have to do our part uh, to make sure that, that, you know, our community, you know, understands uh, what protections, you know, have been put in place, you know, since those, you know, since, since those times when we know about the Tuskegee syphilis study and, and other bioethics atrocities um, and to, to, to really showcase individuals from our community that have participated and benefited from their participation in the clinical trial. And all of that, I think, is, is, uh, is really linked to sustained community engagement, maybe even participatory community engagement, where we work with uh, trusted organizations in our community um, so you know, that we can deliver information about Alzheimer's or dementia, opportunities to participate in clinical trials in ways that are you know culturally relevant you know and appropriate yeah does the alzheimer's association i guess as part of their outreach do they work with um you know maybe faith-based groups of uh, sororities fraternities you know is there that kind of engagement to help facilitate the outreach all of the above i tell you also yes yes so we have a 
We have a strong partnership with the uh, African Methodist Episcopal Church. Um, they have over 2 million members across the country. And our, our North Star is uh, being able to link you know, one of our 75 chapters around the country with uh, a few of their AME churches in, in cities where you know there are there you know there are high numbers of, of uh, Black African Americans, and so right. you know being able to, to link together at a community level, uh, which is many times different by city by community, the ways in which you know these organizations can work together, um, you know, but that gives us that opportunity to really move into communities in a in a in a trusted way. Partnership takes time, right? We're also working with my fraternity, the Omega Psi Phi fraternity. Uh, incorporate and so we can get the bras to you know in the chapters and communities to work with our, the alzheimer's association chapters again it gives us a real opportunity uh to to uh, relay our resources deliver our resources in a way that that could be effective and so you know to your your viewers you know if you know of an organization uh that has a community a, a footprint and black african-american communities um you know please let us know uh because we, we we we're willing to do the work to engage and to develop that trust you know because before you know linking up to go out in the community to do anything uh, organizations have have to know that we're trustworthy and that takes time um you know but but once we're able to, to head in that direction i tell you the, the opportunities for us to deliver on the alzheimer's association mission you know to get Get our information to all communities uh, is is, uh, is is certainly apparent, uh, but also the opportunity to be effective, right? To to not just not just uh, you know provide information in a way that we think it could be uh, received, but to really work with organizations that will give us that confidence that we're being uh, you know culturally relevant and appropriate. That's, I mean, that's wonderful because I, I mean, I personally know of not only clients, but friends that are members of the D9 and they, each one of those uh, organizations has, you know, part of their mission, that community service, that education and empowerment um, that, that they're also known for. Um, what are particular resources that the Alzheimer's Association has um, available that people can, you know, anybody watching can go and like access right now? Well, it, you know, we offer free education, uh, both uh, online and in person with one of our chapters, you know, that are, you know, in, in many times in your community, you know, very close to, to where you live. Um, we also have a community resource finder, right? And that can help families and, and care providers uh, find local residential uh, care options by simply entering your zip code, right? Really, really important, right? So you can you can see a, you almost map the services that are that are in your area, and then as always, you know the Alzheimer's Association is wonderful, twenty four seven, and I I would add three hundred sixty five days a year helpline right? uh, is eight hundred two seven two thirty nine hundred. I'll repeat that again. 1-800-272-3900 is available every day of the year and can help families uh, navigate a variety of disease related issues. And so, you know, I, you know, I, I, I would just urge uh, everyone to visit uh, alz.org 
to take a look at some of the resources we have available for you. And I believe that number that you just uh, mentioned is prominently displayed on the website. So as soon as you hit the website, you'll see that 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 number. Um, I understand that the Alzheimer's Association also has a presence on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So you are your organization is out there on social media, meeting people where they are and how the many ways that they uh, consume information. But uh, the, the one-stop shop, I would say, is the AL, www.alz.org uh, website. Um, Dr. Hill, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and this can go in so many different directions, but the, the reason I wanted you on um, is really it's about awareness. Um, and one conversation at a time, you know, one interview at a time, that's what I'm hoping to do with this podcast. And I just want to thank you so much for your expertise, everything that you're doing in the community um, and, and just in your, in your career. And I also want to thank, because you're here on behalf of the Alzheimer's Association, um, I just want to thank them for being gracious enough to, to take part in this um, and to continue the good work um, that they're doing, continue that outreach. Um, is there anything, any other final comments uh, that you'd like to uh, make to the viewers um, just about any uh, new events that are happening with the uh, Alzheimer's Association or, or just anything else about the, uh, about the podcast? Yeah, you know, I would just echo, um, you know, your statement, the Alzheimer's Association, you know, really should get all the credit. Know, really uh, focusing in on community, physically staying in community. And, and we know we have our work cut out for us. I mean, we, we've got to do more uh, in uh, Black African-American uh, communities. But, you know, we understand that. And we're looking uh, to partner with organizations that can help us, you know, do just that. And so I'm excited uh, about this opportunity, this challenge, um, and, you know, really looking for partners to help us, you know, meet, meet this challenge. And those partners could be national organizations or individuals, you know, that are, you know, looking at this podcast. And so get involved with us, you know, and, and being involved, you know, means, as you said, Elsa, it, it doesn't mean waiting until, you know, we notice, you know, you know, some, some uh, problems with memory with a loved one. Um, and that, that is important, uh, but it, being involved also uh, means that you can volunteer with us. You can let us know about an organization that we should be working with. Uh, you can work with our, our staff that are in communities, you know, as a volunteer, right? So many ways for you to be a, a part of this conversation, because as you said, Elsa, having these discussions at the dinner table, at the family reunion, you know, at the at the fraternity and sorority meeting are so important because in that way it, we, we elevate everyone's uh, understanding education and awareness about alzheimer's and dementia so join us and visit us at alz.org uh, backslash volunteer one last point i just wanted to mention because we you you raised it earlier in in our conversation is that this does not have to be a taboo subject you know you, over 60% of the, 
um, are, are the numbers that, that you quoted earlier on uh, in our conversation, you know, dealing with Alzheimer's. And the fact is that our population is aging. We are living longer. So we're going to have to, you know, I pray, find not only find a cure, but we need to learn more about how this disease uh, appears, um, what the triggers are, and how to manage it. You know, there's no putting our heads in the sand uh, uh, about this. So, you know, we don't have a choice. Um, would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we, we can't ignore it. And we have to really prioritize an early diagnosis. I mean, it, it, this is the take home for me, right? And so, um, you know, you know, getting an early diagnosis, you know, gives our loved ones a chance to access treatment options, or opportunity, as I mentioned, to participate in clinical trials, a chance to just prioritize health and, you know, really elevate emotional and, and social uh, benefits. And if, you know, nothing else, it, it provides time for families to plan for the future. But in order to do all of that, you have to be able to, uh, you know, recognize the signs and know who to call, you know. And so an early diagnosis is important, but having the resources uh, to, to know how important that is, is also, you know, fundamental. And, and again, I would urge uh, your, your viewers to be involved with us, the Alzheimer's Association, alc.org. Wonderful. Dr. Hill, it's been an honor and a pleasure to have you as a guest on the Wills Women and Wealth podcast. Thank you so much for being so gracious with your time. Thank you again to the Alzheimer's Association um, as well for everything that they do. Um, everyone, Dr. Carl V. Hill from the Alzheimer's Association. Dr. Hill, thank you so much and have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you, Attorney Elsa Smith. Thank you. Everyone, wasn't that a phenomenal, informative, and insightful uh, conversation we had with, with Dr. Hill? And I encourage you to share this podcast with those that you know, with the organizations that you are involved with. And, you know, take Dr. Hill up on, you know, his challenge to get involved, use your organization perhaps as a conduit to get information out to, you know, the communities in your sphere of influence. Um, that's certainly what I'm trying to do with this podcast. I want to thank each of you for listening, watching the Wills Women and Wealth podcast. Until next time, this is your Maryland attorney, Elsa W. Smith wishing you well. Take care.